I'm Andy Crouch, inviting you to download and listen to the new Beer Edge podcast, a source for news, information, and insight regarding the brewing industry and the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. The show, co-hosted by John Hall and I, talks with key players on the front lines of the beer business to give you insights and advice on how to navigate these uncharted waters. The Beer Edge podcast is available on all major platforms, or you can visit us at beeredge.com podcasts. Thanks for your support. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer. I'm John Hall. And it's crazy to think that I recorded the interview that I'm airing today only about a month ago, well before the world began shutting down. I was at the Blind Tiger, my favorite bar in New York City, and the place was bustling, as it often is, on a Thursday afternoon. Earlier in the day, I had interviewed Ting Su from Eagle Rock Brewing in Los Angeles. And if you haven't heard that show yet, please go back and give it a listen once this one ends. She was in town for a Women in Beer Symposium, and joining her was Karen Hertz of Holladale Brewing in Colorado. It's a dedicated gluten-free brewery that has been working to change the perception of what gluten-free means in beer. Now, as a longtime drinker, I've seen the good, the bad, and strange of gluten-free. A decade ago, we had sorghum beers from the big players as the best option. Then we started to get beers like Omission, which was in the Widmer Brothers portfolio at the time. Dogfish Head even tried its hand at one with wildflower honey. And there were smaller pop-ups that came and went and are still around in some cases, like New Planet. Some drink gluten-free beer because of dietary sensitivities or choices, others just because they enjoy it. And what's become clear to me is that the nature of gluten-free has changed in the last several years. And now there's a handful of breweries that are working hard to change past perceptions and to bring these beers into the mainstream consciousness of all drinkers. With that in mind, I wanted to get a check on the current state of gluten-free beers. So with Hertz in town, I asked Brian Kolbaki of Departed Souls in Jersey City to cross the Hudson River and join us at the corner table at Blind Tiger so that they could both share perspectives, give insight into how their breweries operate and how they approach recipe development. I left the conversation a better informed drinker than I was going into it, and I hope that by the end of the time this show ends, you feel the same way. We start off with the view from 35,000 feet and then narrow in from there. Here's the conversation. What's the current state of gluten-free beer in America today? Oh, you want to you wanna tackle that first? Sure, yeah. <laughs> I mean, in general, um, if you think about craft beer and craft breweries in the U.S., there's over 8,000. And dedicated gluten-free breweries, there's 15. And then there's a couple on the side, like a, a Departed Souls, that has a focused, um, dedicated, gluten-free part of their brewery. So really, you know, maybe with a couple of those, we might be up to about 20. But it's just, it's a very small portion of all of the breweries that are out there that are really focusing on gluten-free beer. Yeah, I think it's, it's pretty unique. I think my first taste of the Great American Beer Festival going back uh, almost five years ago now um, when they announced the gluten-free category the first time, there was a very audible laugh in the room from most yeah. of the brewers, uh, which is kind of disheartening because it's the people we work with and it's it's our friends laughing yeah. at us pretty much. But um, you know, you look back at Great American Beer Festival this year. I don't remember the exact number. We didn't enter, but uh, I believe there were 60 or 70 entries in there. Um, and you're talking about breweries from, from all over there, North America that are brewing 
all different styles. They're not relying on heavy hop beers. They're not relying on heavily fruited beers anymore. You've got stouts and blondes. You've got um, IPAs. You've got sours. You've got barrel-aged stuff now. Uh, so I think there's a lot more respectability in the industry, especially as um, the suppliers that both of us have have also uh, stepped up their game. Uh, places like uh, Eckert Malting, Grouse Malting, um, providing us with some really high-quality stuff that we could do a lot more unique brewing with. That laughter, though, that, that Brian referenced, I, I think that's, for a long time, the gluten-free option that was out there, you're grimacing, yeah. as it were. It just wasn't, it wasn't something that was even enjoyable for the people who were drinking it, right. like who wanted to drink beer but who right. were gluten-free for, for, for one reason or another. That was, I guess, the biggest challenge, right? Of like, oh, here's our sorghum beer. Here's our, you know, I, I Dogfish Head did one with wild uh, strawberries, honey, and strawberries, yeah. and some and other. I think stuff. sorghum was in there too. So yeah. yeah, but I mean, sorghum is grass seed. Well, and it was a syrup. It's not like they were using the grain. It was they were just using sorghum syrup, and there's so many side effects of that that just aren't appealing in a beer. Like what? What's the side effect? Um, well, it's very thin. You know, it's you're skipping grain entirely and any of the proteins in that. And so it's just a thin beer. It's um, uh, It's got lower sweet. head retention. It's got like a tanginess to it. And it's sweet, yeah, yeah. more like a cider than really a beer. And, and in the beginning of at least U.S. gluten-free brewing, that was kind of the only ingredient people knew to brew with and so to what Brian was saying is now we've got a couple malting companies really focused on gluten-free ingredients that we can use to make really good craft beer that happens to be gluten-free. And uh, and not to interject or, or backtrack but um, I know Tweezenale was by Dogfish Head was one of those those OG craft gluten-free beers. Um, I don't want it to come across in case Sam is listening that, that we're Sam talking crap. Listen. about yeah, Sam doesn't listen. Right. <laughs> Sam was a guest a couple Mariah? weeks ago. Sam, Mariah Sam, Sam uh, certainly doesn't but listen. <laughs> but uh, Sam was actually very Sam's instrumental. Sam's lawyers are listening. Uh, but, like, yeah, but Sam's yeah. not listening. I yeah. love Doc. No. Uh, I do love Doc. <laughs> uh, but Sam was instrumental in us, a, us yeah. being able to do what we do at Arbury where we have some uh, shared production space because they were producing Tweezenale on the same brew house and using the same fermenters and using the same bottling line and uh, I had the fortunate instance of meeting Sam at Saber the one year it was in New York City and um, they invited me down to, yeah. to Dogfish Head and um, I got to meet with their brewers and talk about the procedures that they were using to safely do that uh, and then we took that back to my brewery when it opened and expounded upon it a thousand times over but it, they're, they're a huge reason why they, they paved the way for what um, Karen and I are able to do at our brewery. In the craft space. Absolutely. Yeah. But I'm curious though about the maltsters that you're working with of the ingredients that they're making readily available for you, right? Because we hear about churro and we hear about rye and we hear about wheat and we hear about you know, black patent and all the other you know, traditional malt ingredients that right. go into beer. In in the maltster space, when they're talking to, to to both of you as brewers, what are they offering as supply? You know, and uh, so Twyla Souls is the owner of Grouse Malting in Colorado, um, and obviously uh, a lot of what's going on this this week in New York City has to do with women in brewing. And Twyla is really, I would say, the 
the the mother goose of of gluten free brewing and gluten free malt. Um, Karen she, along she uh, she's a, she's amazing. She's yeah. the best. She's the pioneer she's the for sure. Her last name is Souls S O L E S. So okay. I have right. a not related special special fondness for her. Yeah, but. Um, you know, she offers us millet and quinoa, uh, gluten-free handled oats. A lot of people that want to dabble in our space just say, oh, I'll throw a lot of oats in a beer. But if you buy your oats from a typical maltster, it's not handled in a gluten-free facility and properly. So it's like it's 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 like for people who have a peanut allergen, like you can't eat certain things that exactly. say like maybe processed in a place that Exactly. I mean, and that's the way that gluten-free beer should be thought about all around. And that's why Departed Souls has two separate canning facilities and two separate brewing facilities is a lot of breweries think, oh, I'll just run a quick gluten-free beer, but there's so much cross-contamination. And I, I, part of my confusion is where did, you don't hear like peanut reduced products. It's either peanut free or not. <laughs> well, and no, that's but if how you're going to make a pastry stout though, like it has to have <laughs> four tons of Reese's peanut butter cup <laughs> right, in there. Right, right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, so I think to, to your point, the cross-contamination is a huge issue in every single piece of the process from the malting and, and her process to the brewing, packaging, and even serving it. You know, you order a regular beer and I order a gluten-free beer and it gets mixed up from the taps to the table. Yeah. So it's this entire process that yeah. really needs to be monitored and it starts with those maltsters and really there's two in the country that are dedicated gluten-free malting companies. You, you bring up an interesting point, though, that it needs to be monitored because this isn't. There are some people who drink gluten-free beer for a purposeful dietary choice, yep. but then there's other people who drink it for like an actual medical reason for sure. as well. There, there, there's no room for being casual in this space. No. Yeah, you both shook your head no. Like, I mean, yeah, no, you're, 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 you're preaching to the choir. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One thing we we joke about, uh, those of us that are in this this professional space, is we joke, uh, there's not really a lot of money in gluten-free, but there's not a lot of money in brewing, period. Don't. Anybody out there that, that does listen, don't. Um, but there, our, our, we were joking before coming on on the air that um, I just paid my my March bill or my uh, my February bills for grain, uh, and my bill for my gluten free grain uh, was more than uh, all of my other grain bills uh, combined, and that was for two batches of gluten free beer versus six batches of traditional beer. Um, you know, it's it's super super expensive to to do and do properly. Um, and and the handling of it in the marketplace is is incredibly important. We've we've seen stores serve one of our traditional beers as as gluten free that isn't, and we've dropped what we're doing and run out there and stopped them because it, it's dangerous. You're messing with people's health. It's not about money. We're not doing this necessarily for us. Um, I mean, you yeah. want to keep the the lights on, but, but yeah, but absolutely. But at the end of the day, we're doing this for the consumers. Um, you know, my mission statement is that I want everybody who enjoys beer to be able to enjoy beer whether you're gluten-free or not and i want to create that that safe space and that safe beer so that everyone can have those memories or or those those nights you'll never remember with the friends you'll never forget uh you know with beer and and you got to do that the right way if we've, you're gonna do we've it. been there yeah well, and i think that's the fun part about this business and this niche that we're in is it really what it brings home is that beer creates communities and we have traditions where we have a beer. You go to a baseball game, you want to have a beer. You're at the Blind Tiger, you want to drink beer. And when you get diagnosed with something that you don't get to 
have a beer, it really, it's a part of your social life. It's a part of your community. And so one of my favorite parts of this is that we actually get to, it's bigger than beer. It really brings people together and it, it, it changes people's lives. And when you don't get to do those things, it, it sucks, you know? <laughs> but, that, but that speaks to the inclusivity, right? Where I'm always sort of amazed when I go to breweries that have nine taps and nine of them are hazy IPAs, right? If, right. If, I've been joking recently on this show that like people are like, oh, you only drink lagers on this show. And it's like, well, yeah, I drink other things now and again, but you know, I prefer it and this is what I'm looking for. Um, having that diversity, even at a bar tap list, yeah. means that you're going to stick around a little bit longer, means that you're going to be able to you know, have your friend who might otherwise drink wine but would really like to have a, exactly. a, a beer as, as well. Like, inclusivity doesn't just necessarily mean, you know, the binary state of gender. Like, it is... Right. Other, it, Preferences, it yeah. yeah. Well, and I, something that we have learned that I did not expect at all in Colorado and is... And that's where you're based. Uh, yeah, so we're in Golden, Colorado. And but I want to talk about Golden in just a minute. Okay, yeah. well, we're in about 40 different breweries throughout Denver because what they have found is they were getting enough requests for gluten-free beer... Um, they didn't want to deal with the cross-contamination or figuring out how to use these unique grains or the expense of it. So we're on tap or in cans in about 40 different breweries in Denver because they want to have that gluten-free option. They also realize the influence a gluten-free person can have on a group. You know, we all go out somewhere. You guys are going to be like, where can you go? Because I'm high maintenance and need to be gluten-free, right? So if you don't have a gluten-free option... We're not even going to enter the door, or we might stay and then for a beer and leave. Whereas, if you have a holiday on tap or a Departed Souls gluten-free available, we'll stay and we'll all hang out. And my friends will drink your beer, and the gluten-free person will drink the gluten-free beer, and it's really a win-win for and, everybody. And at some point, like those labels disappear because you're just hanging out with your friends. Exactly. And I think we all hit a certain age where it's like, you know, like I have friends who have chosen to become sober at this point and they're right. just drinking seltzer and they're all out and they have willpower and I admire them a great deal for that kind of thing but like you don't even like you stop paying attention to what other people are drinking because like you're just enjoying the company the beer becomes secondary yeah you 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 said the words uh, high maintenance which yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm quoting you now but what brought you to Karen what brought you to getting into yeah. gluten-free beer making? Just history-wise, I, I worked at Coors for about 10 years, and um, I had an education in business. I have an MBA in entrepreneurial studies. Never thought I'd start a company, but it's working out that I did that. And then I ran into health issues. So 2007 was diagnosed with melanoma, and 2008 was diagnosed with thyroid cancer and an autoimmune thyroid disease and was told I needed to be gluten-free at that point. So I'm working at Coors, I'm in Golden, in Colorado, huge craft beer market. Um, and this was back in the days when they were making those sorghum beers and I just was like, what was, what was the, there has what was to the be Miller a better Coors way. Coors sorghum beer? Um, Coors, Coors had one beer for a little while called Coors Peak that they just tested oh, in. Yeah. They tested in Seattle and then they shut it down. Weird. Um, yeah, it was a little bit of rice. A I don't know if Torgan was in there or not. It. 
Um, but they've shut that down since. Okay. Um, yeah, they called me like, you know, we have 300,000 pounds of rice. Could you use it? I'm like, I could use like 20. <laughs> <laughs> 20 pounds or 20,000 pounds. That's a lot of rice. Yeah, yeah. That, no, 20 pounds. 20 pounds. Yeah, it was yeah. tiny. I'm like, well, I don't think I can use it. <laughs> Um, I mean, how long does rice keep, and can you afford the, uh, yeah. you know? Yeah. Can you guys store it for the next 50 years, and I'll utilize it? So, um, I mean, that just motivated me to really look into ingredients, and it, it ties in with this uh, Grouse, Twyla at Grouse, the malting company, because... And where are they based? They're in Colorado. They are in Colorado. So I, you know, I'm Boulder? looking for... It's called Wellington. Wellington. It's just north of Fort Collins. But I, you know, it, it ties into I'm looking for gluten-free malt I can use because I realize the syrup thing is just not working. And the only malting company in the world at that time making gluten-free malt was 60 miles from my front door. So I was like, I have to do this. I have to figure this out. <laughs> and she was great and really instrumental in partnering with me and helping me learn how to use those grains. How did you find your way to this? Uh, for me, it was a, a little bit different. I personally, I am not gluten-free. Um, I moved back to New Jersey back in 2009. Uh, I had helped bartend my way through college. Uh, I moved to Miami after college, and the closest thing you could get to a craft beer in, in Miami at that time uh, was probably a, a Heineken Light for $14 on the beach. So um, it, was, it was pretty rough. This was, cool. this was before the days of all the great breweries now that have opened up down there. Um, sadly, exactly where I live, they're all now located. So I really missed the boat on that. But um, <laughs> I, I moved. Uh, I was working you for were I was right working next door for, to yeah, Wakefield. Yeah. I'm literally right next door. I used to go to that Target all the time. But um, <laughs> I uh, I worked for a, a cruise line when I was down there. One of the the cool little benefits was after you worked for them for a year, you got a free cruise for you and your friends. And uh, my best friend came down, uh, took that cruise with me. Um, I hope. Well, it doesn't matter if my former bosses aren't listening. I was, I was <laughs> quitting. I already knew I was quitting at that point. But um, they all came down, and, and throughout, our time, uh, throughout our time in Florida, he kept getting sick every time we went out drinking beer. And uh, when he came home to Jersey, he uh, took the test, and it turned out that he had celiac. Um, when I moved home a couple months later, uh, we started joking about um, opening up a brew pub in central Jersey, gearing towards dietary restrictions. Uh, he was a teacher, um, but helped manage a local restaurant uh, as sort of his side gig. I was not necessarily loving what I was doing uh, back up here. So uh, it kind of kind of made sense to us. Uh, I started reading about gluten-free brewing, about brewing in general. Unfortunately, he was commuting between those two jobs, uh, was in a car accident, and, and passed away. Um, I more or less sucked at life for a couple years afterwards and uh, when my parents finally decided enough was enough that I needed to get my, my life back together uh, a friend and I were brewing uh, the next week for the first time in years probably uh, he kind of convinced me and led me in the direction of going back to school for it which led me to the uh, American Brewers Guild Brewing School Steve Parks, uh, with yeah. Steve Parks uh, I looked up the school it had a three year wait list which I thought was perfect that would get me well through my mid-20s of coasting by, <laughs> working for the family. And uh, Steve called me about a week later and was like, hey, you start in a month. That, that, was, a, that was a shock to the system. but it's good um, kick in the ass. Yeah, it absolutely was. I've met a lot of great friends through that program. Um, you know, uh, and I knew to do gluten-free and do gluten-free right 
uh, I had to start my own brewery. Um, I've had plenty of breweries while I was in that school, or brewers, respected brewers while I was in that school, um, laugh at me for trying to go down this route. Uh, and again, going back, it was a lot of what we, we mentioned before that the gluten-free ingredients and the gluten-free beers on that market at that time were, were not good. Uh, and so uh, Karen's been open for four years now. She just celebrated four years of being open last week or two weeks ago. Um, and we're approaching five years. Uh, we were sort of us, places like uh, Groundbreaker and um, Groundbreaker and uh, Ghostfish uh, all sort of led this revolution into proving that gluten-free beer could actually taste like, like real beer. Um, and that's the thing, right, of, of tasting like real beer. So I, I wanted to mention Golden, and I know that I know that you were at Coors, but like Golden, Colorado, is famous for Coors, Coors Light, Coors Banquet. Uh, I, I, that's a company town yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. If you're going to open up there and you're going to put a beer out, even in as liberal a beer state as Colorado, where IPAs have ruled, and we've seen the rise of pastry stouts, and we've seen the rise of hazies, and we've seen the rise of everything else. If you're going to open up in Golden, that's still very much a company town, that's still very much a town that has a beer identity, in the same way that almost St. Louis does. What did you need to start with to show people that you were also making, quote-unquote, real beer? Yeah. I mean... Ultimately, you had to make great beer. You can't just throw, you know, it was the idea of the company was not, hey, I think there's this niche out there. I'm just going to cram it with mediocre beer. Yeah. We had to make good quality beer. Um, and, and we had to be different. And there's a lot different about Holla Daily. Not only the beer that we make, but having a woman owner behind it and the story behind it and people. So it had, there, there had to be something that really differentiated us from others and in Golden I will not deny that it's a huge course town and, it, and it's a company town but there's 12 craft breweries in this tiny town in Golden and some legit amazing breweries I mean Cannonball Creek wins sure, they're IPA great. for Great American Beer Fest every single year they're unbelievable um, so that we have a lot of really great just craft breweries and that that community is starting to build more and more in Golden but I think even in the craft beer space in general Especially now, you have to have something that differentiates you, and you have to do it well. And those were kind of the two things that we were just really focused on. Can you, so when you talk about good beer, yeah, there's certain things that beer drinkers who don't flock towards gluten-free look for. We don't want diacetyl. We don't want oxidation. We don't right. want light struck. We don't want et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. What are the, are, are there different parameters for there shouldn't gluten free? No, there, there shouldn't, shouldn't be. be. And and when you talk about the state of gluten free beer right now, I think that's actually one of the biggest issues that we might be facing. It's is a misnomer. That, yeah. Yeah, you know, you know, a lot of the people, the demographic, the craft beer demographic, is those people that were drinking the aforementioned beers in their early 20s and now they're older and, and they might not be going back to gluten-free beer because what they had originally didn't taste like real beer. Sure. Um, and sort of to to add to that now, I think you're starting to see other breweries see value in having a gluten-free option and they're just putting something out. 
Uh, and aside from the, the health risk that Karen uh, touched on earlier, there's also the quality risk. They, they're not only risking hurting their name by putting out just a beer for the sake of being gluten-free, um, they're, they're hurting their name, they're hurting the style in general, but they're also hurting people like us that um, have invested our lives in trying to do this and do this right. Um, and you know you don't want to you want to make sure people are getting a beer that that tastes like a good beer and you know i always say i said to a, another brewery in new jersey this morning it's like you want to make a gluten-free beer i will give you as much information as i can and help you out as much as i can you know within reason to protect my my knowledge base <laughs> and my 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 space in the in my my spot in that space but um i'd rather i'd rather more competition that's doing it right than more competition that's you know, doesn't belong out there. You're, you're nodding in agreement, Karen. I what? You, you were nodding in agreement. No, I'm in agreement. Yeah, no, sure. that, yeah, yeah, no, of yeah, course. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, New Planet was in Colorado early. I don't even know yeah. if they're still around. They are around, okay. but they contract brew. Okay. And they make gluten-reduced and gluten-free beer. So okay. there's, you know, there's a difference there. So let's talk let's about talk the about difference that, between yeah. gluten-free and gluten-reduced. Okay. And does that have to do with the ingredients and then there's, yeah. the, there's the Clarex yes. firm? Yes. So yeah, so a gluten-reduced beer is actually brewed with barley or wheat. And then an enzyme gets dropped in, usually Clarity Firm or Brewer's Clarex. Yeah. And what that enzyme does is it takes a gluten protein that's a certain length and just chops it into teeny tiny pieces. Okay. So the gluten is actually still in the beer. It's just in a much smaller form. And they've done tests now to prove like, you know, the tests that brewers use right now to say, oh yeah, it's less than 20 parts per million. And then they test the beer, the pieces are still in there. Yeah. So... And there's it's breweries like, like Omission that use this. Correct. And there's yeah, but, breweries like... Right. Yeah. And so if and you're and a even for those enzymes to work properly, sorry to cut you right. off, you should still be running a filter on your beer, not just doing a standard cold crash or something like that. For those to work even remotely properly, you should be filtering your beer in some regard. And the filter will knock out, hopefully... It won't not necessarily no. knock it right. out. No. But it will at least help. It okay. just it, it does not make gluten free beer. It just it doesn't. So and that's why we call it gluten reduced. Right, but this is back to that like there's not peanut reduced stuff, so I don't really <laughs> understand why it even exists. Um, but it does. So um, sounds like diet, diet barley wine. Like and then yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. And then on labels it's it'll calorie say calorie reduced. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on labels it'll say crafted to remove gluten or crafted to reduce gluten. And Stone does that with their delicious yes. IPA. Yeah, because the FDA says you can't label it as gluten free. And then more and more studies are just coming out saying people are still getting sick from this. The the more sensitive consumers where a gluten free beer, every single ingredient that goes in is gluten-free, which means everything that comes out is gluten-free. And that's the big difference. And that's the safety piece of it and making sure the consumers can drink it. And Karen mentioned a lot of the ingredients earlier. A lot of the, the, the breweries that are just sort of dabbling in that space, one thing they forget is the yeast, too. The yeast is a huge carrier of, of gluten. Um, most commercial liquid yeast has gluten in it. Uh, and that protein will get shared throughout that wart. Uh, if you share, if you're repropagating, if you're going cone to cone with your yeast, you're risking contaminating that beer. And, and a lot of brewers don't think about that. It's just one of those things that, uh, you know, it, it's there. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's, 
it doesn't go away just as easily as you could have the best cleaning procedures in the world in your brewery you might get a batch infected from time to time and you know that's something that's always on on my mind and that's that's something that's on most brewers mind and that's like that's why we have the dedicated equipment that we do for it there's there's a certain clientele that you have that seek you out because of the beers that you make right I'm, I'm curious and you can make a living off of that certainly like you can find the people who you're you're Karen you're in a couple of states at this point now, yeah right? we are in Colorado and Arizona right. right now and Brian you're in New York New Jersey you're down in Philly uh, New York New Jersey Eastern Pennsylvania uh, and we we dabble in Maine Oh well, sure. Like, who doesn't dabble? You just in gotta dabble. You gotta. <laughs> uh, I'd love to stick your toe in, in the water here, or there. Still haven't been there. there I'm, there. I'm fairly confident that that'd be a really great beer name of just dabbling. Dabbling in Maine. In Maine. Yeah, it's, uh, right. When is it gonna show up? Who knows? Um, so for the people who are looking for, when they walk into a bar, so we're in Blind Tiger in New York City uh, in the Village right now. Uh, their gluten-free menu. Mm-hmm underwhelming correct yeah um and i'll say that because i love them here and i don't drink gluten-free when i go out kind of thing however if there were more options and the beer tasted good i don't know if i'd necessarily care if there was gluten or not right how do you but but that's me and i'm you know i'm a forward-thinking guy clearly you're Um, special how do you make that leap to the people who don't have to choose gluten free every time. Right. How, how do you have this conversation with people of like, hey, this is still beer. This is still, you right. know, judge on taste kind of thing. Like you'll drink any, you know, you'll drink a bullshit IPA with, you know, totally blueberries and dragon milk or you know, oh man, you're like pointing at Brian or oh, green yeah. blueberry sour. That's right. Before beer. we started this thing, Brian Delicious. Brian was <laughs> drinking a. Key lime pie colored. <laughs> no, I made that beer. Uh, blue Dazzle, raspberry, blueberry. whatever kind of thing. Can, you know, throw, that's actually there's a bus. There's an M34 <laughs> that just rolled down Bleecker right now that Karen <laughs> threw you in front of, which is awesome, by the way, because that's what this whole show is about. Is about like you know beating mm-hmm. people up, um, mostly kids. But how do you yeah. how do you fi- how do you get in front of that? Well, how do you I think that's. I mean, that? that's definitely part of our challenge, but. You know, it's sort of like layers. Our initial layer is certainly the people that need gluten-free, want gluten-free, have to have it. That's that's our low-hanging fruit, right? But in order to really grow, you need to convince people to try it. And and this product is such a word-of-mouth kind of a deal. So it, we just say liquid to lips. Like, get as many people tasting it and trying it and convincing them that you can make a great craft beer that's gluten-free. And, it, and part of it is those, the initial beers, we got to get people over that mentality that like, oh, you can't make a good gluten-free beer. You can't make a craft beer that's gluten-free. So we just, I mean, we have as many people as possible tasting our beer as much as possible. Is that a larger problem with the craft moniker, though? That like craft has always meant like super hoppy, super weedy, super ABV, super, you know, we, what, whatever? We actually had... I. I had a post on our Instagram about that yesterday, I think, was that... This is going to air well beyond that, but That's like, fine. Yeah. <laughs> Yester... Uh, the other day. Uh-huh. I, uh, you know. Uh, 
f- four or five years ago when we both opened, it was mostly fruit beers and IPAs. Yeah. You know, because you were you were playing with sorghum, which was very hard to cover up that flavor more or less. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's really cool the evolution of again going back to the state of gluten free beer. I think it's really cool the evolution of what you're seeing in terms of of styles and flavor profiles now. We've seen sours. We've seen barrel-aged stouts. We've seen um, hoppy pale ales. We've seen blondes. We, we're, we're getting to the stage where we're putting the craft back in the beer. It's not just beer anymore. It's Is that where the raw ingredients come in? For sure. Versus Clarex oh, yeah. Firm kind of yeah, thing, Yeah, right? and, and, and are, are to there, Brian's there, point, are, they're advancing. You know, she comes out with a crystal malt or a caramel malt. And that lets us make a red beer that's unbelievable. And people, you don't know it's gluten-free or not. You're just drinking a great red malt-based, malt-forward beer. Are there limitations? Are there things that you can't make? I don't think so. I think there's challenges, but I don't think there's limitations. What, what do you see as the challenges in the brew house? Um, the grain is much less efficient than barley or wheat. So like, like what kind of efficiency are you talking about? I have like three. That's a hard question. He answers those. And, you know, I, I think the, so at least what we see, the millet is in a, a particularly fine and uh, flowerful grain. Okay. So we're running into stuck sparges all the time, which reduces our yields all the time. Uh, our brew days are typically about twice as long when we're doing gluten free. Um, unless we're putting adjuncts in there, uh, we're definitely limited in terms of our yield on the mash. Um, you know, I, I think that's a huge part of it. And then when you're talking about the styles, uh, you're also talking about a market that isn't used to necessarily the direction that styles have gone. They're not used to pastry stouts. They're not used to sours. They're, frankly, they're not used to Belgian triples. Mm-mm. You know, uh, yeah. you know that a lot of those people stopped drinking when they were in their teens or, or yeah, they went to college, what? John. Don't roll your eyes at me. <laughs> How many teenagers did you know that were drinking All Belgian of the triples? teenagers that I knew. Not know now. Not know now. That's important. Man, My lawyer Br- said to East Brunswick was <laughs> East Brunswick's wild. back in the day. But, you know, they, they stopped drinking in college, so it was the Coors. It was the, the, yeah. the Sands. It was the, the Blue Moons. Um, and that's where their knowledge base for beer stopped because that's when they got diagnosed and they tried uh, a red bridge and we're like nope screw this i'm going to wine uh, and now they go to hard seltzer all right uh, so brian you make gluten-free beers but then you also make i don't even know what the term uh, regular beer traditional gluten-full yeah gluten extra gluten yeah um whatever you want to call it <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> Taryn's going to fight you in the alley after this. Uh, no. this is fun. Um, but I'm curious, um, how do you, can you convince the person who comes in and we drinks? Fi- we find all the breweries that do gluten removed, and we take their gluten, and we put it in the other beers. Fantastic. Sarcasm. Um, <laughs> how do you, how, if somebody comes in and they see your list, and you have 15, 18 beers on tap, or whatever number you have on any given day, if somebody comes in and they're drinking a traditional beer, how do you get them or how do you have the conversation with them to go and drink one of your gluten-free beers? Uh, you know, we definitely Where's have, the education? We definitely have that, that portion of the people that come into our tasting room that, um, you know, they walk up to the bar, they ask for a flight, we ask what they want in the flight, and they say, I just don't want any of that gluten-free shit. 
You know, it happens every week. I'm not even, that's a direct quote, at least from 10 people last Sunday. Um, you know, it's, it's. And they use it that way because it's a derogatory thing. Do, do people walk into your place, which is 100% <laughs> gluten free, and say that? No. They, no I, cause, most cause of Colorado, what we get is like, what? This, this, this. Colorado like, is polite. And well, we're and from some of them don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. East Coast stuff. But, oh, man. Uh, people, A, they either know we're gluten free, or B, the beer's good enough that they don't know, and then they're like, what? When they figure it out. Sometimes they have. They have no idea. They just think it's a tap room. Yeah, you know, I, th I think for us, it's certainly as the, the metal wall has grown, that's definitely helped us a little bit. Um, but typically what we'll do is we'll say, you know, they, they want to flight. We'll ask if they've never been here to the brewery before, to Departed Souls in Jersey City, 150 Bay Street. Wow. Uh, I got to wow. get that plug in. Shameless. Uh, shameless. Ken, what's your address? <laughs> 801 Brickyard Circle, See, Golden, this is, Colorado. It, I'm all about, like, equal opportunity here. <laughs> this is uh, this is fair play right here. So we'll, we'll ask I'm them what they want in their flight. You know, they'll, they'll say none of that gluten-free shit. And we'll say, all right, well, have, have you never, have you tried our gluten-free before? No, no, I don't want to. No, like, but I've had Red Bridge. All right, but give us your... Uh, Give us your four best beers. We'll be like, all right, how about we pick the beers? And the way our flights work is you get four samples, and then when you're done, you bring up the flight board, and you get a full pour of any beer that you like. And we'll typically say, okay, these are our four best beers, and we'll sneak one gluten-free on there. Uh, and I just love when they come back up for their full pour, and they're like, oh, I'm going to take the Nunshall Path. It's like, yeah, sucker, that was gluten-free. You know, <laughs> so uh, I think that helps. You know, I, I think that the fact that we've now been open for five years they're like ah oh, they can't be that bad um you know the fact that we're now offering things like a belgian triple like a a saison with dragon fruit and lavender or uh, a brute or a uh, a pumpkin because you got to brew a pumpkin uh you know it it opens people's eyes that they're willing to try again and it goes hand in hand with the food culture because gluten-free food's gotten better and, and people are willing to try it again is that is that Similar to your experience, though, Karen, that that people like, as the food culture has changed, it's made it easier to put your beers out there to a non-gluten-free community. I think so. I think it's getting better received. We have found with distribution-wise, menus are with food are way ahead. You know, everyone's got a gluten-free bun or a gluten-free pizza, and I'm like, why don't you have a gluten-free beer? Yeah. You know, we got to catch up on the beverage side of it um and i i wanted to reiterate too what brian yeah. was talking about with the styles we're kind of bringing these people back to beer a little bit we don't do a lot of crazy stuff we're not trying green beers or whatever we're um Everybody's it's really like on come brian on back yet. to beer and and we're almost it's like we're 10 years behind craft beer and brian said you know got to do a pumpkin beer our pumpkin beer two years ago sold out in 24 hours like Unbelievable, because these people missed the big pumpkin beer craze, you, you know, and everybody says, people? yeah. And they want it. And they, they want it. They want to try it, and it's and it's good. So, um, How far out, though, Karen, do you have to start thinking about... So, like, I, I know there's some pumpkin beers that hit in June, like that kind of thing. But when you see what's happening in the larger beer industry right now, so like hazy, juicy IPAs right. happening right now, yeah. or you know, like we see a lager trend, or we see it's very hard to make a hazy beer that's gluten free. Yeah, and we do that. You I mean, do. We so we won the gold medal at GBF with our hazy. Yeah, but 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 I'm curious as to the steps that you have to take as opposed to somebody who's like, oh, I just found the right poundage percentage of citra mosaic 
and a bag of King Arthur flour, and here right. we go. Right. Well, I mean, I'm all of the. I'm gonna get so much hate mail for that, but yeah. All of the, but I mean, hops wise, you know, hops are gluten free, so that's fun. Yeah. Do you want to give your address too? I can. Yeah, I can we nope. need your address. <laughs> nope. We do need nope. your address. John's nope. face just got very nope. serious. Nope. We are not giving away my at-home address. Yeah. <laughs> we could. We could. We could. We're not. Okay. Also, right. we're recording this, and I will edit hotel? this <laughs> later on. And yeah, so I can take it out. So all you right. guys can say whatever you want right now. <laughs> I'm the ultimate uh, ultimate okay, arbiter perfect. of all, all right. this. Anyway, I don't know. I think you, we're. At, I mean, we're at a spot this? though, like malt-wise, where we can make anything, and and hops are gluten-free, so we got free range with those. Um, I, we the really big styles, like I was just telling Brian, we came out with a brute IPA because that's a big thing in Colorado, and it's low Does calorie it and low carb and. It's kind of the thing right now. So we did that on just in our tap room on tap. Um, so we play with some of the hotter styles that are out. But ultimately, what we distribute and, and our really our core beers are just bringing people back to beer. A blonde, a stout, an IPA. Like, let's try these three and see how you do. As you bring people back to beer especially who haven't been able to enjoy beer for, for, for quite a while. Where's the trailhead? Where's the, where, where, where do you start them? Like, and, and, and where, where does this path lead? Like what, what is the future for gluten-free beer in America? I, I'll ask Karen and then I'll ask Brian. Well, I mean, we, we, you know, like I said, we start with our flagship brands that are really pretty simple. Which are what? Favorite Blonde, Fat Randy's IPA, and Reva Stout, just to give them that full range. Um, And then we do a seasonal rotator right now. So we have a a Buckwit Belgian that's coming out this spring and summer. We do a pumpkin beer in the fall and then a red in the winter. So um, that allows us to just get people trying different styles a little bit. Um, But I think, I mean, it is almost like we have a little bit of a roadmap based on what craft beer has done, our consumers are just a little bit behind everybody else. So, Because of lack of options. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's the most fun part of it is when we get customers who were really into craft beer or really big home brewers, and then they get hit with a diagnosis and they're like, beer's out of my life forever, this sucks. And then they walk into our tap room and they're in full tears. Like, I, I can have anything on the menu, and it's so good. And um, that's the payback in doing this, is that it's so much bigger than beer, and it speaks to that beer community. I think the future of gluten-free beer um, really is, like I said, we're, we're kind of, we have a little bit of a map based on what craft beer has done. Um, and it's just the focus right now is making quality beer make you know convincing people to your point earlier try it just yeah. try it um you will be surprised and when they do tell your friend that's celiac tell your friend that can't have traditional beer because there are options out there for people and we just got to get it out farther and wider so people can have it there's it's so you know of the 15 dedicated breweries eight are in portland and seattle there's just not a lot in the U.S. And so we need to make very good product and then get it out to people so they can have beer. 
at Blind Tiger like everybody else. Yeah. Neither of you are on tap here or in bottles, which I'm we are like, like certainly disappointed in. We do we do a little bit of distribution in New York City. Um, New York City is the same way as everywhere else. First of all, there's there's so many good breweries in New York at this point. Um, but just like New Jersey, where we're at, that the distributor hand is so strong here. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really difficult to break in, and um, the amount of people knocking on um, you know Blind Tiger's door is difficult. You know. I've just certainly tell, just tell me you were on this podcast. Like John knows a guy, oh, don't email. you? Do? I sent them an email. Know it's Catherine. Oh, Catherine it's gets me. I sent blind tiger at uh, something at gmail yeah, nope, don't, don't, don't even. Yeah. You can provide but her Brian, your what's email. The, what, what's the future of uh, gluten free? You know, I I think that doing things from my my perspective, the way our brewery operates, I definitely. Um, I source a lot of inspiration from our, our gluten-containing beers, uh, my styles, my brewing techniques, uh, things that I've learned and I see in that spectrum. Um, being in the tri-state area, any beer we put out uh, with gluten in it is pretty much constantly compared to an other half or a KCBC or a, or a Trillium, and, and that's a difficult space to be in for us. Um, when we put out a gluten-free beer, we're not compared to anybody. Um, and so what we do, we do a lot of pilot batching in our tasting room, and typically we'll, we'll take 10, 15 gallons of one of our proven gluten-free recipes, uh, pull it off in a, you know, some plastic buckets or our little mini fermenters, ferment it with some different yeast, some different hops, and, and really experiment that way. Um, we tend to find that once you build the trust and the rapport with the gluten-free community, they're at least willing to try something new. Uh, it might not hit, you know, you, you might be a one and done beer. We can everything. We're actually, we're also fermenting a brute right by, right now. It's got a, it was based off of a beer that was really popular in New Jersey, brewed by a different brewery last year, but you know, it, it was super popular and we we're like, I think I can do that gluten free. And so we definitely, I source that inspiration the, the same way I source the inspiration for every other beer. And um, you know, like, like Karen said, we're, we're winning that consumer back and other breweries are starting uh, traditional breweries gluten glutinous breweries are are starting to glutinous glutinous gluttony uh, wow. they're uh, <laughs> they're starting to see the value in it and there's there's more respectability in it now and um, you know you're just people are starting to finally approach it with more of an open mind and that's just going to open the doors so that when you know you or, or somebody that's not gluten-free goes to a bar they don't the only reason there's an asterisk next to the departed souls name or the holiday name is so that the gluten-free people know that one's a safe one but that doesn't turn you away from it karen last words to you pardon last words to you oh last words i'm excited to be in new york city <laughs> I'm excited um, you know, tonight. Have you heard of the coronavirus? I'm okay. just living. I look like a city girl, don't I? I rode the train all by myself from the airport to our hotel. I was really proud of myself for that. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I was talking more about like gluten-free beer, but like that's <laughs> fine. But like, but yes, well, you like, left it open. I mean, it was open. No, but like, you're visiting from from Colorado. I'm New visiting York from City Colorado. You took the. Uh, I'd love to get my beer everywhere if I could, but. Uh, it's baby steps. We talked about it earlier. It's big baby steps. We built a new production brewery this year. Well, we opened it in May of last year, 2019, and um, it's going to give us some capacity to really expand and get. We just got to get beer to the people. It's not, and it's really not complicated. It's 
people build beer, or beer builds community, and people tie it to traditions. And when you can't have it, it's a bummer. And so it's a simple idea of really just providing something for people to have in all those occasions that they want to have a gluten-free beer. Next time, I'm, uh, next time that I'm in Colorado, I'll come and visit you. I would love that. And uh, if I ever make it back to my old stomping grounds in Jersey City, uh, I'll come visit you, Brian. It's You've so far. It's been for a year now. Uh, but <laughs> it has been more than a year now. I live in the suburbs now. Uh, thank you both. Thanks for sharing thank you for your having stories. Us. Thanks yeah. for talking about gluten-free beer. Thanks for sharing your stories. Yeah. Thanks and, for the bar uh, tab. Yeah, well, <laughs> easy. Not you. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, guys. Thanks thank so you. much. Cheers. My thanks to Karen Hertz and Brian Kolbaki for their insights into the world of gluten-free. I hope that the next time that you're out, and if it's on a shelf or at your local taproom, when we're able to head back out there, of course, you don't just walk past these gluten-free options. These days, you're likely to be surprised by the flavors you find in your glass. It's not just the same old stuff as it used to be. And thanks to the Blind Tiger for hosting us as well. They've been closed amid the coronavirus pandemic, and I'm eager for this to become manageable again and to see that great old bar, along with so many other beer-centric places in New York, here in Jersey where I am, and around the country, reopen. And I'm sure you feel the same way. If you want to keep up with the news around the COVID-19 and how it's impacting beer, I hope you'll check out the Beer Edge podcast. New episodes air each Friday, and it's hosted by myself and Andy Crouch. Thanks to everyone who is listening and leaving reviews. You can always reach out to me with questions or comments at John Hall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L, at BeerEdge.com, or on Twitter at John underscore Hall. I'm still working my way through some shows recorded before the shutdowns, but I'm curious to know who you think I should get on the show. Reach out and let me know, and you might just hear them down the line. Nate Schweber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed the logo, and please check out BeerEdge.com for information on our newsletter and to learn more about what we're doing. I'm John Hall. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll come back next Wednesday when we drink beer and think beer.